Hello and welcome to our BMJ Clinical Podcast. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. I help look after BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. This podcast is about typhus group rickettsia. You should learn about how to recognise, report and refer affected patients. Typhus group rickettsia is caused by rickettsia prozaki and rickettsia typhi. Prozaki was discovered by Henrique de Rochelima and Stanislaus von Prozac. In 1915, they were working in a prison hospital in Germany, investigating an outbreak amongst Russian prisoners of war. They both became infected. Prozac died, but Rochelima survived and named the disease after him. It was the story of war, rats, poverty, overcrowding, poor hygiene, and of course, our friend, the louse. To tell us more stories like this, we're delighted to have Dr. Christopher Paddock, medical officer and pathologist in the Rickettsial Zoonosis branch at the Centre for Disease Control. So, Christopher, welcome. It would be great if you could tell us a bit about your experience with this disease. Well, my background is in pathology and rickettsiology, and I've worked at CDC uh, since 1995. My work with typhus group rickettsioses has primarily involved assisting physicians uh, with the diagnosis of these infections. And can you tell us what exactly is typhus group rickettsia? Well, typhus group rickettsia are a group of closely related intracellular bacteria uh, that include Rickettsia prowacheki, which is the agent known to cause epidemic or louse-borne typhus, and Rickettsia typhi, which is the agent known to cause murine or flea-borne typhus. Both of these infections are transmitted by insects, and they're considered um, zoonotic diseases. And uh, how would you recognize an affected patient? Most patients with either murine typhus or louse-borne typhus will present with high fevers, typically 39 to 40 degrees centigrade. Um, these folks will also have what's known as a relative bradycardia, uh, which is the absence of a physiologic increase in pulse during the temperature spikes. So they don't get tachycardic when they're febrile. They characteristically have very severe headaches, uh, muscle aches, abdominal pain. Um, often cough is, is a manifestation that's described and may be associated with interstitial infiltrates on chest x-ray. What's interesting is that for rickettsial diseases like murine typhus and louse-borne typhus, rash is, is often uh, described as a hallmark feature, but um, is variable in, in both of these two infections, uh, typically seen in about 50%. Um, and it begins as, uh, as non-blanching macules on the trunk, uh, often near uh, the axillae. Uh, it may involve ventopatiki or purpura in very advanced cases. And the rash typically spares the face, the palms, and the soles. Okay, that's that's helpful. And what um, types of patients or what risk factors do patients typically have? Well, they're different for the two infections. Uh, with murine typhus, um, this is a, 
a globally distributed disease. It's uh, often found in areas with warmer climates, uh, typically along um, coasts and often in urban areas. And that's largely because it's uh, uh, closely associated with rats and their ectoparasites, namely fleas. Urine typhus is what we often describe as a, an urban zoonotic disease. And it uh, can involve patients in developed countries as well as developing countries. Um, we often hear about patients who acquire the infection when they're traveling um, to other countries because the, the prevalence is, is higher in places like Southeast Asia or India or Africa. So a travel history is, is very important um, in discriminating um, murine typhus, as well as exposures, known exposures to rats or to fleas. With epidemic typhus or louse-borne typhus, the circumstances are a little bit different. Um, this is a, an infection that's transmitted um, by body lice. There are no animal reservoirs that we know of other than um, a very peculiar situation in, in the United States where flying squirrels may be associated with sporadic cases. But in general, louse-borne typhus is associated with um, situations relating to poverty, uh, overcrowding, civil strife like wars or famines, and you have louse-infested populations. And all you have to do is have the um, initiation of an infection there, and it can lead to explosive epidemics. Okay, th thank you. That's that's helpful. And if you see a patient who you suspect has the, the disease, what isolation measures should should you take? Well, in general, isolation measures aren't necessary uh, for patients with murine typhus, which, as I mentioned, is characteristically um, a sporadically distributed infection, um, and it's not directly transmissible between humans. It requires uh, fleas to, to transmit that infection. Epidemic typhus, however, occurs in these settings that are overcrowded, where hygiene is poor, such as refugee camps uh, or war-torn regions. And in those circumstances, um, isolation may be very, very difficult, but what's most important is control of uh, the body lice among the populations. And, and oftentimes, you'll have the entire population or the majority of the population infested with lice. And so treating these, these persons uh, as well as their clothing and the bedding with an insecticide that's effective against lice is, is critical. And what's commonly used is a, a 1% permethrin powder. Washing clothes in, in hot water uh, above 50 degrees centigrade will also kill lice. Close contacts of, of patients with louse infestation should be monitored for up to two weeks um, following the exposure for appearance of fever. Okay, thank thank you. And I'm I'm guessing you need to refer. Is that is that right? Uh, and if so, where where should you refer? Referrals depend on the severity of the illness and. Um, not all patients with, infected with a typhus group or KETSI will necessarily require hospitalization. Um, many will, 
if they have not been diagnosed early in the stage of the illness. So referrals are, are really based on the severity of disease. Typhus rickettsioses are systemic illnesses, and they can involve multiple organ systems. So severely ill patients, and these are individuals typically in the second week of the illness um, can experience life-threatening diagnoses that include pneumonia, pulmonary edema, renal failure, as well as uh, central nervous system manifestations such as um, delirium and seizures. So those are the individuals who obviously are going to need to have uh, higher levels of, of care. Okay, thank you. And uh, back to diagnosis again, what are the common differentials for these diseases and how can you tell them from the differentials? Well, typhus rickettsioses can be very difficult to differentiate from other clinically similar infections, especially early uh, during the illness. Um, some other diseases that uh, closely resemble uh, typhus fevers are um, typhoid fever, viral exanthems, leptospirosis, and many other tick-borne rickettsioses can mimic um, the infections caused by typhus group rickettsii. Also, sepsis. So it, it can be really tough to diagnose this infection early in the stages of the disease when actually the antibiotic therapy is most effective. Okay, and what would you say would be the common pitfalls in the diagnosis of the disease? Well, I think some of these would include uh, waiting for the appearance of a rash to consider the diagnosis, because as I mentioned, the, the, the rash often, uh, when it does occur, typically occurs uh, at the end of the first week or during the second week, uh, early in the second week of the illness. And for both epidemic and murine typhus, um, the rash is variable, and as many as 50% of patients in, in many series never develop a rash. Um, this is particularly true in individuals that have uh, darker skins. It may be much more subtle and, and difficult to, to see the rash. So if you're Excluding the diagnosis of a, of a typhus group rickettsiosis based on the absence of rash, that, that is a definite pitfall. The other thing is, is waiting for a confirmatory diagnosis before initiating uh, antibiotic therapy. And the antibiotic therapy of choice for these infections is doxycycline. What's very important to remember is most broad-spectrum antimicrobials have no efficacy against typhus um, rickettsii. So you really have to be considering the infection to select the appropriate antibiotic, which is a tetracycline-class antibiotic, which is not something that is just commonly used for patients with undifferentiated fevers. Okay, thank you. That's that's very helpful. And once the diagnosis is made, do you need to report the disease to the relevant authorities? Well, in the United States, uh, typhus group rickettsioses are not nationally notifiable, but they are uh, reportable in about 14 states, and those are typically states that have um, a higher incidence of the disease. The reporting requirements are going to vary um, among countries. As far as epidemic typhus, uh, certainly that's going to depend on the, the circumstances. So 
if this is an individual diagnosed, say, um, a nurse or a physician returning from work in a refugee camp, well, it would be exceedingly important to report this to um, an international agency like WHO because it could herald the beginning of epidemic disease at this refugee camp. So that's something that um, health authorities definitely would need to know. Okay, thank you. That's that's great. And last question. If you had one single piece of advice to give to a doctor or healthcare professional about this group of diseases, what would it be? The, the advice that uh, we give clinicians is to just consider the diagnosis. Keep it in your back pocket because these are diseases that don't get considered uh, often enough. Murine typhus is actually a, a relatively commonly uh, observed disease in many parts of the world. Uh, epidemic typhus is, is much less frequent, but it does exist. It's still endemic in, in many areas of, uh, of the world. And both of these diseases can be fatal if they're not treated appropriately um, early in the course of the illness. And therapy is most effective during the first week of, of the disease. The other thing to remember is that uh, patients who are bitten by fleas or lice may also have other flea or louse-borne infectious diseases, whether it's trench fever or relapsing fever or um, rickettsia felis infections, those, those should also be um, recognized as, as diseases that can be transmitted by these insects. Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Paddock, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognize, report, and refer affected patients. If you do want to find out more, click on the link on the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning and look at the content on rickettsial diseases. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.